0: Welcome to the Bonhoeffer Podcast, a podcast about the life, theology, and practice of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm your host, Corey Tuttle, and my guest today is Dr. Joe McGarry. Dr. McGarry received his PhD from the University of Aberdeen, and his dissertation is entitled Christ Among a Band of People, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Formation in Christ. Dr. McGarry, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, I was. I'm excited to speak to another uh, Phil Ziegler Aberdeen PhD, a, a, a finished one, nonetheless. <laughs> the,
1: the best PhD is a finished PhD.
0: Exactly. I've. I think I've talked to two or three who are, uh, Aberdeen PhD students. Maybe I think uh, Joel Looper was under uh, Phil, um, but I don't think I've read just like the actual dissertation itself. Um, so that was a really cool experience for me because, uh, I'm just starting out and kind of like, all right, what, what's this going to look like in the end, hopefully. So it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. Um,
1: <laughs> hey, and like I said, I think that puts my total readings of my thesis at like 11 now. So I think after 12, I get a toaster. I'm yeah,
0: sure. <laughs> definitely. It's in the mail. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so how did you how, how did all that start for you um, how did you discover Bonhoeffer and like what what brought you over here
1: yeah um, I uh, all of this really started for me in my master's work uh, I had uh, one of the one of the professors that I had in seminary was a Luther scholar um, and and I took as much Luther and, and Luther theology as I possibly could uh, and in that he also taught a, a class on introduction to Bonhoeffer's thought. We read discipleship um, and usually the classic stuff that you read in him. Um, but I remember reading discipleship in particular and seeing that he's operating with like Reformed theological categories. He's talking about the, the mediatorial role of Jesus and Christ as mediator. And, um, you know, those are not classically Lutheran um, you know, uh, theological systematic lo- Loki, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, "Oh, like here's a guy he's who who seems to be using lots of reformed categories in his theolo- in his dogmatic work, but he never saw that intention with his own Lutheran self identity." And I thought that was really curious, and so that kind of was the entrance into um, Bonhoeffer as scholar, um, and why I found him most people in their entrance into Bonhoeffer studies come through his ethics and come through the, that window. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, I was much more fascinated by his dogmatic work. Um, and, and so in the midst of that and kind of doing some PhD applications, um, I actually went to the international Bonhoeffer was a Dietrich Bonhoeffer society's website and then went to the list of um you know who were the officers there and just sent them emails of hey this is an i have an idea um do you think this is a good idea and would you take on me as a student if you could um and and actually i got no's from everybody um but um i remember um Peter Frick being really kind in his response to me, saying, actually, this isn't the kind of stuff that that our program pulls on, but it's a good idea to keep going. Um, And I also was I actually just went through universities um, and looked at their faculty and what kind of projects people would bring on board. Um, And so I looked at Oxford, Cambridge, all through the UK, and came to Aberdeen. and and at the time john webster was the professor of systematics and he had a line like taking on von projects so i wrote john webster an email um and he was i uh, get remarkably generous with his time and had, had said um no that's a great idea it's a really good project but i'm actually not the guy you should study with you should study with phil ziegler mm-hmm. and so he gave me his email address and i was probably a month back and forth emailing with phil honing the research proposal and and again he was um again i I was struck by how generous these scholars were with their time with me a little podunk phd potential candidate um and and phil just kind of helped me hone the project put in the application um and and he pulled me on i
0: was his second student wow how did uh confirmation um obviously your 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 phd is like a is really intensely looking at sort of sanctification and confirmation of being conformed to Christ.
1: Um, Where did that question come from? Where that come from? from? Yeah. So um, I had, uh, the doctrine of sanctification has always been a fascination for me uh, because I've always worked in the church. Hmm. Um, I had been, I've been working in church parish ministry ordained and lay since 1996. Um, You know, on average preaching once a month, uh, elder, uh, in churches that do eldership. Now I'm in a, you know, a, as an ordained Anglican priest, I'm on vestries, um, and, uh, and small groups and small group leadership and all the, all those things. And, um, sanctification is a stock, you know, like a, as a doctrine of what does it mean for us? What happens when we're faithful? Um, mm-hmm. and, the more I kind of dug into that, uh, the more I found out that there's a remarkable lack of clarity or theological precision around that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, why do we say that things happen? Or, you know, wh- When we give an account of today, I am different than I was yesterday because of my allegiance to Jesus and my hope that in the future, I will be different still. how do we theologically account for progress what does that look like um because i'm in a small group on uh, wednesday night in my here you know wednesday small group night for our family and so when we're there when we're talking about what happens in our spiritual lives and we talk about spiritual growth um what are we doing and, and so that's, all, you know, that's doctrines of sanctification. That's all that stuff together. And it came out of my practical experience in the life of the church. Um, what am I, pre- when I preach, what am I inviting people to participate in? Um, so it all came out of that. And then what I found in Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a dude who just sang a different tune. Uh, and, and I'm like, what in the world is going on here? Uh, and again, the further I went down that rabbit hole, the more, Um, captivated I was by what he talked about and why he talked about it in the way that he did.
0: Awesome. So let's jump in. Um, Your your dissertation starts with um, sort of an exploration of Bonhoeffer's Christology. Um, You have this sort of differentiation between um, Christ's work um, that all humanity has been renewed at the level of being. And uh, a different uh, di- differentiation between that and uh, sort of the actualization of that, the experience of that. So I'm wondering if you can kind of lay that out um, for for listeners um, who may be new to Bonhoeffer. What, what did Bonhoeffer think Jesus did um, in re- reconciling the world and h- how does that play out?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the big th- this is one of those, um, you know, I grew up pretty bog standard American evangelical um. And, and so the, the notion usually is when you pray a prayer, you're saved, you're regenerate, and then um, life is, then you pursue the process or the, the sanctified life. Um, and, and for Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the question gets pushed back further and asks uh, what happened in the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth? Did the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth uh, effect something? Or did it affect the possibility of something? And that's um, usually it's affected the possibility of regeneration. Should you pray the prayer or get baptized or whatever your tradition is? Um, And and he was like, no, in the resurrection, Jesus of Nazareth renewed all human, like renewed human nature, human being. um, Period. Full stop. And so then, then he begins pursuing and exploring the knock on effects of that. What does that mean? What does that mean? Because his constant refrain is, again, start to finish in his life is this okay, so how do we live in that way? What is that? How does that truth affect our um, daily lives? And whether that's from Sanctorum Communio, being, you know, mit anander under, anander, all the way through to the ethics. You know religious christianity and what does that look like being for others that question is presupposing the truth of of what is achieved in the resurrection then how shall we live mm-hmm. um, and so so that thing is then if he affected this renewal of human being uh, all humanity is made new so then okay what do we, what do you do with that? So a couple of points, you know, so, so folks who are kind of wary of universalism will pretty much say, oh, that sounds like a universalist position. And you come up a couple of points in his theology where he's like, yep, that looks a lot like universalism right there, but we can't go, we can't take that final step. And here's why. Uh, I think he does that in Act and being and actually I think in Sanctuary Communio as well. Um, but, but it's important to grasp that. And so then the issue for us, um, you know, then, then justification becomes this matter of perceptive renewal. What we, what our vision is, is renewed. And we see for the first time that which has always been. We are in Christ. And we are in Christ by right of the resurrection. Um, which is, you know, uh, what, First 1 Peter 1, 1.3, right? We are born into we receive, uh, born in a new life by the resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he ends up moving the, 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 the point of conversation away from who prays the prayer who's in more into. So who's faithful to their being, which is already established in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so in, in Sanctum Communio, he talks about that in terms of reality, actuality dynamic that, that in, uh, in the resurrection, Jesus has, um, you know, assumed all humanity into him, but that is made actual in time and space through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where we see through the work of the spirit that, again, that which has always been, which is humanity is renewed in Christ becomes concrete in space and time through the life of the church, um, which is, again, which is only possible through the work of the spirit. Um, he does this really, quirky thing in act and being where he begins to run that through Heidegger's um, existentialism and like I mean in act and being it it wasn't until the third time I read that book that I realized that I didn't know what I was reading
0: that's good um, to know a, I'm on I'm on round two right now and <laughs> yeah, I'm man. not there yet
1: <laughs> yeah like, like it is but I, and um, th- there are so many different interpretations because it's such a Murky kind of text, with like what's he on about? Um, but I think what he's on about is, is is revisiting that truth, but he wants to do it through some philosophical categories. But one of the things that became really apparent to me in my doctoral work is that in in theologies of spiritual formation, there's usually pretty um, or, or precision theologically. It can be hit and miss, but at least it's a priority. What is almost never discussed is a philosophical uh, anthropology. Mm -hmm. So scripture affirms body, soul, mind, spirit. Yep. But how they interact with one another is a philosophical question. It's not a theological question properly um, because it's not concerned with that. Theological anthropology is fundamentally concerned with being in Adam or being in Christ. Those are the two categories we're given. Um, and so usually there's a, there's one philosophical anthropology that's driving most, uh, most spiritual formation literature Mm. and Bonhoeffer comes in from left field and he has a very different philosophical conception of human being, which completely upends what we might consider spiritual formation or the process of spiritual formation to be. And he does that not because he wants to be novel, but because of his Christological commitments to the renewal of all human being in the resurrection. That's
0: Um, great. Um, I wanted to ask you, I guess, how this plays out. So I'll just kind of explain to you um, how I'm, I'm, I'm tracking and then where my questions come from. So the idea is that when Jesus rose from the dead, all people, every human has ever lived has been reconciled to god objectively and that that even though it is an objective truth and this would be like at the level of being is not experienced by everyone the only way that it is experienced by someone is if god breaks through in revelation revealing jesus christ by the holy spirit mm-hmm. okay so my follow up question to that is what are justification and sanctification in in that like when someone is is there like a uh being level justification and then a participating in that or is it you know like um yeah i'm um, confused on that
1: i no so i navigate th- that through um well actually not me i think bonhoeffer navigates that through and i give him a thumbs up of agreement <laughs> <laughs> through the through the language of faithfulness yeah what if all are justified but not all are faithful yeah And, um, and so the language of sanctification also becomes a bit, um, interesting or tricky where you have, um, you know, um, some traditions, you know, Methodist tradition is very comfortable talking about progressive sanctification and progressive holiness. Um, good Lutherans are, you know, break out in rashes when that language occurs. (laughs) Um, but rather want to talk about sanctification in totus. You know, that we are in the process, uh, sanctification is the other side of the coin, and that when God makes something holy, it is made holy, complete, and entire, not sort of, and then it gets, you know, increased over time, uh, but that's a th- theological um, commitment, mm-hmm. so if you go with that, then justification and sanctification do... Uh, uh, um, you're more comfortable talking them about complete and entire in the moment and then the issue becomes are we faithful to that being which is in christ which we had no way of knowing until um, the inbreaking of the holy spirit and the regenerate um the regenerate mind which occurs in that um and so i think and again i think that that's his real profound insight in act and being mm. um, and, and he wants to navigate this notion. Uh, he spends a lot of time, again, one of the things about Bonhoeffer that was really a, a, a learning curve for me was that he was super concerned about a lot of things that nobody else was really worried about. You know, he spends all this time talking about how there must be continuity of being. Like, wh- what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> why, why is this important to you? Um, But because what he wants to talk about is that when we talk, when you you talk about regeneration and justification, um, he's like, you have to talk about it in a way that ensures that, um, that regeneration doesn't affect you at the level of being in a way that Jesus has already done in the resurrection. Hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think I'm trying to.
1: so, so if Jesus renews all human being in the resurrection, then when I become justified, um, I can't be regenerate in my soul again because it's right. already been done.
0: It's just participating so, in the initial.
1: So, so this is where he talks about what's renewed is our vision. We are no longer living yeah. in reference to self. But we live in reference to Christ, which is a possibility that we didn't even we never had because we didn't know we could. Mm mm-hmm. Um, and so so he navigates that by talking about perceptive renewal instead of ontic renewal, if that makes sense. Um, and, and again, all of that, because he has this massive commitment to what Jesus achieved in the resurrection is not the possibility of regeneration, right. but the actuality of regeneration. But we don't live faithful to that truth because we can't, because we're bound to ourselves and our own possibilities to be in any moment.
0: I, it makes me think of th- there's this line i want to say yeah, maybe in the christology lectures maybe maybe a little bit later where he, he basically says that he's like one of the great mysteries is why all of these other people don't realize who their lord is <laughs> like, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that makes yeah. sense
1: um and i like again i found that uh, harmonia and again it's in the, the the deeper i read into aspects of scripture Mm. the more harmony i find in that um, for instance in uh, when when paul uh, establishes parallel points of singularity in adam all fall in christ all made new um like here's a way that again if you hold to a doctrine of total depravity or something like that in the fall of adam Mm. which not everybody does but if you do then you have to see jesus as at least paul thinks that there is a there's a parallel singularity going on there um and so usually again the way i was brought up was in adam all fell and in christ all can be made new yeah but that's again but that's not the how the logic or how the reasoning is running in the scriptures yeah this language provides a way that I could say, yep, I see how those both work.
0: That's great. I want to ask you about these, uh, this sort of ways of being, um, you (laughs) every time, I mean, I've done probably like, I don't know how, probably close to 30 of these interviews. And every time we get to Heidegger, it's like just straight over the head. I, I, by the, by the time I have the conversation, I'm like, all right, I think I got it. And then I'll hop off the podcast. And like a week later, I'm like, I can't yeah. remember it. I, I, so I have to go back and like, listen to myself sound dumb asking these pros, these questions oh, on Heidegger. Dude. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, uh, yeah. Uh, caveat number one, I am by no means a pro on Heidegger. Oh, good. Um, well. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And again, all of, all of that was, was, um, largely just on the back of talking to Phil, talking to people who would, who are far more sophisticated in their understanding of Heidegger and then a whole lot of reading. Yeah. Um, Hubert Dreyfus's uh, commentary on being in time was really, really helpful um, as was the uh, Cambridge companion to Heidegger really helpful for me um, be- because the thing is, 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 you know, Heidegger's move is, a is, is against, it's a metaphysical move um, where this notion of you, talking you can't talk about or the interesting conversation is not what is human being that's not an interesting um, Mm -hmm. for lots of lots of reasons that's not a helpful conversation the helpful conversation is how does being exist in time and why and again i what i love in that is it moves away from you know uh how do body, soul, mind, and spirit, or what are they? Where where do they fit, and all that stuff? Like Aristotle, Plato, let them worry about that stuff. Um, and then what you find is that after all that, you actually don't you don't know, or or you don't have a, a level of concrete concrete um, knowledge, right? That instead you just go, who cares what it is it's a remarkably important how it is mm. so how does being exist in time now that's a that's a good question and because for theological commitments we can say what is you know what is being being is in christ that's not the inter- that's not the question that the scriptures are fundamentally concerned with the question that the scriptures are concerned with is how does this being in christ exist in space and time Mm. and like ah yeah okay i'm on i'm with you so yeah um and so and, and again um this notion that because being isn't a thing um it's a form it's a form that it takes when you do something um I think in Heidegger, it's you know taking a stand or making a concrete choice. And we can and, and then our being takes a shape in space and time. And that being um, can exist in authenticity to its ability to again, this is where it gets a little weird, right? <clears throat> you can be authentic or inauthentic to the potential that you could be at any given moment um and so you can take you make a choice to um now it's all in theological categories for me because i didn't go that far into Heidegger, right um but that sense of um can you exist in reference to god's creaturely design for humanity and and we could take this into like the um the, the genesis lectures and creation and fall mm-hmm. and that notion of, you know, being sick with Deus. So humanity fallen places themselves at the center mm-hmm. and they only live in reference to themselves. We no longer are creatures. We are, we take the place being as God. <clears throat> and so your possibility to the, the form that your being takes in any given moment is in reference to yourself. What can I do? What can I become? How do I live solely in reference to myself and my own potential to be in any moment? And again, that's the interesting question not what is me, but Mm -hmm. how do I exist? Then, being in Christ is a perceptive renewal that we are, our vision is regenerate and we no longer see ourselves as the be all end all of our possibility to be where that, again, the, the self is curbed in on itself. Mm-hmm. But rather, the vision is lifted beyond me to my possibility to exist in reference to Jesus. And now, and in that moment, I learned that I am not God. I am not the center, but I'm a creature, And this is very good news.
0: Yeah.
1: I I can stay in my lane. <laughs> um, and so now my, my possibility to be is governed by a whole new category or a series of choices that my being can take in reference to my creaturely nature instead of my fallen um, sense of that. I am God. Mm -hmm. And so then those choices that my being takes in any given time is authentic or inauthentic to my, creaturely existence which i have by right of the resurrection of jesus of nazareth and so and so again being in time or act in being is all a very formal argument he never drills into the details Uh, but and and part of the whole um yeah and, and all of our concrete decisions in the discrete moment are um you know being takes shape in the moment as a reflection of the possibility to be in the future, but also in conversation with times I've failed in the past and the guilt that comes from that, mm-hmm. um, which is why he lands on the child at the end of acting being as being the, the paragon. Again, it's not because the child has a boundless future in which to develop, but rather the child has no past right. by which the guilt of failure impedes and, and draws away from the full possibility that we have to be in light of Jesus.
0: I think, again, I think I got it. No, thank you for explaining it like that. No, that's really useful. There's a lots of, I I did my, my master's thesis on Bonhoeffer's understanding of uh, autonomy. And uh, there's one category in there that I listed as as cognitive autonomy. And I, I sort of like just went over some Bonhoeffer quotes, but like, the way you just, just describe it just makes me see that, oh, this is like all Heidegger. <laughs> this is like all this, like this way of the yeah, understanding, being and participating in the authentic and authentic language, um, the concreteness of it all seems very uh, Heideggerian. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and, and again, um, then you ask this, you know, back into the question about justification and sanctification. What if justification is perceptive renewal, not ontic renewal, that i that I, you know through the inbreaking of the word and the revelation of the spirit i see that my being has a possibility to exist in reference to jesus hmm. and i see that which i could never have seen before and because of because i could never see it before i could you know i could will an existence uh, and this is you know straight up luther's bondage to will you can will anything you want what you can't will is the only thing that's important which is willing God's will. Mm -hmm. And what is God's will is that we as creatures would live faithful to the reality God has achieved for us in the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you about Dallas Willard. So I guess for people who aren't familiar with him, who is Dallas Willard Um, and then what brought him into the conversation about confirmation and sanctification?
1: So, for those who aren't familiar, Dallas Willard was a remarkably important um, uh, scholar, uh, theologian um, who really helped, particularly in kind of bog standard average evangelical culture, um, in the 1980s and the 1990s, re uh, what um, return the notion of uh, discipleship to the everyday average life. Mm. Um, you know, the life. Um, which is, again, it's, a, it's, it's nothing unique to the later part of the 20th century. It turns out humans are really great at liking things about God, but the actual life of faithfulness is pretty hard. And we love to come up with reasons not to. Um, and so he, he, in a series of books, um, this was A Spirit of the Disciplines, The Great Omission, um, uh, Renovation of the Heart, the three pretty seminal works um, on this introduction of discipleship and spiritual formation as not a, um, an optional add-on to the life of faithfulness to Jesus, but actually um, non-negotiable essentials. And so in that his work was remarkably important. Um, again, because it, it's rarely brought out, um, he' beginning to speak about it with precision, um Dallas Willard was a lecturer in philosophy at USC, I believe, um, in their philosophy department. He was a um uh, uh, uh oh come on, it's not Husserl, it's no, he was a Husserl um scholar. So um existentialist philosophy as well. And and so that was kind of who he was, and and his works were Absolutely foundational for spiritual formation and discipleship in the church, particularly the evangelical church in America in the 1980s, 90s, and early 2000s, which is where I was doing ministry, right? So I come out of that, and all my small groups are doing Dallas Willard's books and and stuff, and and again, remarkably helpful. Then I encountered Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he's just singing a very different tune. Mm -hmm. Um, Dallas Willard's work is largely built on um, a Greek platonic Aristotelian foundation, again, which is not to say that it's wrong, uh, but that's where it's coming from. And that notion of the soul is shaped into virtue through spiritual uh, exercises, Um, habitus, hexis, whatever we want to call it, um, that spiritual disciplines shape the soul into virtue. And that's largely then kind of this, what spiritual disciplines do is they hone us, develop us in the process of sanctification into Christ likeness Hmm. and Christ likeness is understood as a series of uh, virtues that we draw from fruit of the spirit in Galatians, you know, any, any number of places throughout the scriptures and they map onto the person of Jesus as we encounter in the gospel narratives. And so as we practice these things, we grow in Christ-likeness, our soul is shaped, again, at the level of being, shaped into um, can, uh, the likeness of Jesus. And this is what spiritual formation, spiritual discipleship is. Um, for myself, I have, it I, I probably just is problematic for me because there are a number of times he uses the notion of um, one of the powerful metaphors he uses is if you want to learn a new language, uh, he talks about training versus trying, that you can't run a marathon just straight out the gate. But if you train for a while, then you can't and, and that our souls are similar in that, you know, that that our character is and no one. If you want to learn French, you have to go to French class and you have to study French and then you can speak French. You don't just kind of you know hop off the plane in Paris and wing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this notion of training to develop and form, um, but the thing is that you don't need a Holy spirit to learn French, right? You don't need the work of the Holy spirit to, um, to do a lot of those types of things he uses as, uh, you don't need the spirit to run a marathon. And it raises the question of, do you. Do you need the Holy Spirit to grow in compassionate love? Now, that is a fascinating question.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Especially if you want to talk about it as the fruit of sanctification or something along those lines. Is it problematic that Plato and Aristotle showed us how to grow in virtue through the practice of the discipline, you know, discipline virtue exercise? Mm -hmm. Um, For some people that's not a problem. You know, thumbs up, good on ya. Go, you. Go, know, go live a faithful life and build the church of Jesus Christ. Awesome. If that is problematic, that there is very, that there might be very little difference between the work of grace and good old fashioned willpower to just not, you know, to, to not be a turd. <laughs> like, yeah. um, then, then what do we do with that? And what I found, and again, so here's, where I begin to find conversation between Bonhoeffer and Willard, um, because what we have here is a a radical redefinition of what formation in Christ is. It's Christ taking form in the world through the faithful life of the church. Um, And there are certain, what I find attractive is, if you move to the language of faithfulness, you can say that there is certain character that is and this is the language of the latter half of discipleship it's also kind of language of like ephesians of you know there's character fitting the gospel and we know what that character is and so however you go about and form that character go and do it Mm -hmm. but that's not formation in christ that is the development and formation of character fitting our being in christ which was achieved at the resurrection which we are baptized into Um, which again, for me, I find harmony, even in like in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, where this notion of, I have redeemed you with an outstretched arm, therefore be this kind of people do these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and if we turn that register in that way, then that offers some really interesting theological, you sidestep a lot of theological issues. Mm-hmm. And you can then go to, um, you don't feel a tension anymore between co- current advances in cognitive neuroscience, um, where they'll talk about neuroplasticity, where well, they'll talk about the ways by which habits rewire our minds and all that stuff. And we don't have to say, okay, so where in that is the work of the Holy Spirit, which is a, it's a front burner issue
0: yeah.
1: for, at, for certain people who come from that perspective and we can say uh, i am what i'm able to do is say well the work of the holy spirit and formation in the image of christ is not located in these things so we can just kind of go whole hog take everything that we're learning about the, about the mind and about the person and and just bring it in yeah. and, and say that we are learning how to be faith, how to become faithful people because that's what we do yeah as we're doing that the, the Holy Spirit makes Christ present among us. Christ That's is great. formed. Again, Christ is formed, takes form among a band of people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I only have you here for a few more minutes. So uh, I'll, I'll just, we'll just go to the last question here. Uh, this is more of a fun one for you. Nice and easy. Yeah. Um, so the idea is that it's a game of Desert Island. Um, it's basically just a way to get some book recommendations um but so it's you're trapped on a desert island um, you're allowed to have one book by Bonhoeffer a primary source and one book about Bonhoeffer secondary source could be anything a biography or a theology book um, whatever you would like uh, so which which two books would you take and why
1: all right so um i'm gonna cheat a little bit but first one discipleship Take discipleship. Um, But here's the caveat for everybody who's listening here. um, Here's my little challenge put before you. Read part two first. (laughs) Then read part one. Um, Because almost universally, myself included, the first time I read it, we read the first half of discipleship. And we go like, "Mm, yeah, Mm, so good. Ooh, Bonhoeffer at his best. And then we get to part two, and we're like, "Oof, man, that was a long ride." I'm just going to put it down now, and uh, and we never pick it back up. (laughs) Yeah. But what happens is that part two, he he tells the same story as part one, but it's like he pulls the curtain back and he does all the theological work that brings us there, and and what you get is a very different thing. Hmm. In my In my opinion, the second half of Discipleship is Bonhoeffer's writing at his very best. Um, He is uh, free-flowing, eloquent. It's one of his deepest engagements with scripture. um, And yet, if you know the philosophical and theological anthropology underneath it, it is still remarkably precise and careful. And he's just just going and it's Mm. beautiful. And then when you read that and you get a sense of the, the life of the church, the vision of the church and our faithfulness to it and then read the first half in light of it, I think it keeps us on track a bit more carefully um, and we don't necessarily because what we don't see are some of the Christological errors that we can make mm-hmm. um, that happen in that. So that that's my discipleship, um, but give it a whirl, read the second half first and then the first half and see how that changes. Um, second book would be the, um, the Oxford Handbook on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, oh, it's a and cheating, this
0: is, cheat code.
1: So, yeah, so I told you it's, it's cheating a little bit. And here's two <laughs> reasons why, uh, but I do have some others. So the uh, first, you're, you're first reason why is I haven't had a chance to finish reading it yet. Um, yeah. uh, but his like the, the, the chapter in there on preaching is excellent. These are, these are some of the best and most careful Bonhoeffer readers that are out there. Definitely, um, and if you want careful guides the it, these are folks in there um but as it is kind of a cheating answer um, <laughs> here's one out of left field that i was uh, i was really impressed with and i thought i was going to hate it um and there's a book that came out maybe two or three years ago um it's like almost like a, a graphic novel called uh, the faithful spy
0: yeah
1: by um john Hendricks. john hendrix yeah I again I, I had somebody uh, tell me about it. I I got it and read it and I was fully prepared to be like, this thing's gonna stink.
0: Yeah.
1: And it it's it's doesn't. And so again, so it's it's a great introduction. Yeah. Um, it's it's very careful. There are other biographies and other accounts that overstep the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't feel like that book does it, it's remarkably accessible. And that's yeah. what I love about it. I can give that book to anybody. And it's a conversation starter Mm -hmm. and, and really gets in again and and, and done in a careful way that is you popular level accounts usually aren't careful in that way. Yeah. Um, and so, so that'd be, uh, yeah,
0: Yeah, that's my answer. I, I loved it. Um, I've messaged John Hendricks, but I haven't heard it, heard back, but I would love to talk to him on here. So John, if you ever uh, have come across this episode, please uh, hit me up. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Great.
1: Thanks for writing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I, I've learned a ton. I learned a ton from your dissertation and just being able to kind of uh, chat about Heidegger, Heidegger and all things uh, objective Christology with you has been, uh, has been really helpful. <laughs> so I appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to uh, be here. And if there's any way I can help in the future, please let me know.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. I'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonhoeffer podcast. If you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash Bonhoeffer pod. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please leave a review in your podcast app. It will help others find the show. And speaking of Patreon, I'd like to thank the current patrons of the show. Thank you to Soren Jensen, Diego Reeb, Chris Baker, Chris Sunby, Greg Harbaugh, Arthur Houts, Andrew Clark Howard, David Burnett, Hank Janelle, John Camardi, Chris Button, and Mary Chapman. And as always, thank you for listening. I love doing these every month. I learn a ton, and I hope you enjoy them as well. So that's all for now, and I'll see you all next month.